with Daniel chapter 11. Um, it, it really covers a lot of what we're going to be talking about tonight. It's kind of the chapter that nobody wants to look at because it's got a lot of minute uh, history in it. So virtually everything that we look at tonight is not written in the Bible as history, but it's all there as uh, prophecy. And so a lot of it in this chapter. So that's, I think it makes it really interesting. And it does tell us that understanding history is really important. For those who don't like history, I know that's a difficult thing. But I think there really is a value to understanding history. Um, at CHS, I, I usually like to tell the kids every year that there's three reasons to study history. I think I might have you guys to steer for, for history too. But anyway, um, there's three reasons to study history. The one everybody knows is that so you don't make the same mistake again that people in history have made. Uh, a couple of other ones are, it's really interesting to understand how we got where we are. Like, why do we have lights in here? And why do we have cars in the parking lot? All that uh, really is all part of history. Or why do we have the freedoms that we have? Another part of history. But the most important and interesting part about history is that it tells us what God has been doing you know, for the last five, 6,000 years uh, with the earth. And a lot of it's in the Bible, but a lot of it's not. So tonight we're going to look at some things that aren't. Okay, so let's go back uh, just quickly and review last week. What we learned, we learned not to be stubborn, that God does not like people to be stubborn, something we really want to uh, work hard on taking out of our life. And we also learn that we need to trust God. So uh, the five mistakes we've talked about in the past is being stubborn, wanting to be like the other nations, lack of gratitude, lack of trust in God, and lack of obedience. The one we're going to do tonight is wanting to be like the other nations. So the history that we're going to look at tonight really covers um, that subject. We're going to look at how the Jewish people wanted to be like other nations and all the problems that it caused them. So let's go on this timeline. We looked last week that we've looked at uh, ancient Israel, and on the timeline, you can see it says this is when King Solomon built the first temple. Then the Babylonians destroy the temple in the uh, second era, there, the Babylonian era. Persian era, there's the second temple is built. And then in the uh, next era, that is Alexander the Great. We just got started in that last week. And this week, we're going to um, actually finish that up and get into the Hasmonean dynasty. This is the time of the Maccabees. Uh, again, this is in the uh, time between the Testaments, so it's not, the history of that is not in the Bible. And then we're going to go into the Roman era. That's the other thing we're going to talk about. This is when Jesus was born, when the Romans destroyed the second temple and the great revolt. So we're going to look at all that. And then in the next few weeks, we'll go into the Byzantine era, Arab Caliphate, Crusader era, Mamluk, Ottoman, British, and State of Israel times. Okay, so tonight we're talking about the Maccabees and the Romans. It covers about the time from 167 BC to about 135 AD. So we're talking about 300 years approximately there. Okay, so we're going to start out with the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. We talked about that right at the end of class last week. This was um, two of the generals that from after Alexander the Great died, and I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, the Ptolemies were down in Egypt, the Seleucids were in Syria, and they fought each other, and Israel was in between. And one of the really important people during this time was Antiochus Epiphanes, or if you want to call him Antiochus. Uh, this is a funny thing about people at this time period. There's Whoever you listen to has a different way of saying it, so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to do whatever works for me. Okay, so in Daniel 11.4, we didn't read verse 4 because I didn't want to have the reading to be too long, but... Uh, this talks about Alexander the Great. When he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. So his son, he actually had a son after he died. His wife uh, gave birth. I think it was a month or so after he died. 
Um, the, the child died though later and he did not become the king and um, his generals split it up and he had a number of generals and it came down to four. And then after that, really the ones we're really interested in here, you have the king of the north in Syria, that was the Seleucid and the king of the south in Egypt, the Ptolemies. So in the reading we did tonight, it talked about the king of the north and south. When it talks about that, that's what it's talking about. The Egypt versus Syria. And um, there were other parts. Macedon is where Greece is. That was part of it. Uh, Pergama is basically today's uh, Turkey. Those were other areas that the generals uh, took over after Alexander the Great died. But the ones we're really interested in is Ptolemies and Seleucids. So here's a chart. Um, you notice up at the top, it talks about the wars. These wars were the wars between the Ptolemies in the south and the Seleucids in the north. And down at the uh, bottom here, you'll see uh, Jerusalem. Well, it's gone now, but Jerusalem uh, was in between. So you, if you look on the map, you can see Jerusalem is in between Syria and Egypt. So they got caught in the crossfire. The first, oh, I don't know, whatever it says on here, about um, 100 years or so, 150, I don't know what it is. Um, the Ptolemies really were in charge of Israel. So the king of the south from Egypt, they were in charge of Israel. One of the first ones that's interesting to us is Ptolemy II, and I'll tell you in a minute why he's really interesting. Um, we'll move on, though, to the first of the Seleucids that's really interesting is Antiochus III. He was known as Antiochus the Great. The reason he's interested is you can see right under that, the chart there, he captured Israel. So he's the first of the Seleucids to take over Israel. So during this time, Israel was not independent. So they were under somebody, either the Ptolemies or later on the Seleucids. And so um, Antiochus III, Antiochus the Great, captured Israel, and now they were under the Seleucids. Under the Ptolemies, life was pretty good for the Jews. They were kind of left alone, and it was peaceful. And then under the Seleucids, it was <clears throat> a little different. It was a lot uh, harder, not so much under Antiochus III, but under his son, Antiochus IV, known uh, more uh, frequently as Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was... Um, uh, really bad person. That's the best way to describe him. He was really mean and vengeful, and he made life really difficult for the Jews. And we'll see why here in just a minute. So let's go back to Ptolemy II. The thing that's really interesting about him, as far as the Jews were concerned, is um, the Jews had been under the Greeks for a while, and they had, were beginning to fall under uh, Hellenism. They were beginning to change, and they weren't being as Jewish as they had been before. They were becoming more Greek. And um, Ptolemy well, I was really interested in books, and he had a big, huge library at, um, sorry, at um, Alexandria, Egypt. And when he found out about the Bible, you know, the Old Testament, he was really interested in that. He found, oh, this is like, you know, this is a religious book. It's really something the Jews care about. I got to have a copy of that. And it turned out at this time that the Jews were starting to lose the Hebrew language, and and because Greek was the language that everybody spoke they were beginning to lose it. And so it actually worked out for the Jews when he wanted to translate the Old Testament into Greek um, because now the Jewish children or whoever couldn't speak Hebrew could read the Bible in Greek. So he, he had it translated into uh, Greek and it was kept in his library there in Alexandria. So that's why he's interesting to us. Um, he isn't in anything we read today. We really started with this guy right here, Antiochus III or Antiochus the Great. So uh, Daniel 11:15 says the king of the north, so that's the Seleucids, that's the uh, Syrian, he comes down and he throws up siege work 
and takes a well-fortified city. And so this is when he defeats the Ptolemies. Look in the background of that picture. Hopefully you can see that. There are some elephants. So they actually used war elephants, which I think these things are really fascinating. These were like the tanks of the day, right? And there wasn't a whole lot you could do against an elephant if you're a ground troop, if you're one of these guys with a spear. Um, we'll see one of the Maccabees later attacked an elephant and took his, it cost him his life. But anyhow, um, so they got these from, from India when they had fought with the Indians and they, they, the people in India. And there's probably Indian drivers on these. It's a painting, so it's not real, obviously, but oh, losing my light. Um, so they use these elephants, though, and they, they terrified the soldiers, obviously. Well, Antiochus, after he won that battle and he took Judea, he kind of got uh, kind of fat-headed and thought, wow, you know, I'm, I'm a great general. And he decided he was going to take on this country that was kind of the up-and-coming new country called Rome. And he thought, you know, I, I, I'm going to spread my empire. I've taken over Judea. Now I'm going to get Macedonia, that area where Greece is. And so he fought with the Romans at the Battle of Magnesia. And that's in Daniel 11, verse 18. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them. So he was heading uh, on the map here. You can see he was heading west and he captured a lot of that area uh, in Turkey, what we call Turkey today. But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. That's Scipio that you see up on the left there. He was the Roman general. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. And so Antiochus lost the battle. Rome defeated the Greeks. And now the Greek empire is, what's left of it is starting to fade away. Um, he lost so badly that he had to pay huge reparations. And he had to give a lot of um, uh, prisoners to the Romans. One of the prisoners that they took was his son, Antiochus IV, or Antiochus Epiphanes. And here's, a, uh, here's Antiochus Epiphanes, what he looked like. Um, he's mentioned there in, uh, what does that say, 11, it's covered up, it's 20 something. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He was not supposed to be able to uh, be next in line because he was taken to Rome. But he came back and he, through intrigue, he was able to take over um, in Syria and he did become the leader there. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flattery. So he actually got it kind of illegally. He became the ruler in Syria. And that was Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, what's uh, famous about him is that he gave the Jews a really, really bad time. So he um, said they can no longer circumcise their children. They cannot keep the Sabbath. Um, you're going to have to put little statues in front of your house of, of Greek gods. And he also, uh, after he fought um, in, in Egypt and lost, he got really angry and he came back. And um, as he was coming back to Jerusalem, he decided that he would offer a pig on the altar just to get back at the Jews. And of course, they were really upset about that, but um, he forced them to do that. And so he desecrated the temple. And so Daniel 1131 says that he took away the regular burnt offering and set up the abomination that makes desolate. Um, some people uh, feel like this verse might be, there's, there's two ways to look at this. One, that might, this might be the Romans later on um, that we're going to talk about later. I think it's probably is um, uh, Antiochus, but, you know, if somebody has a really good uh, explanation of how it is the Romans, but talk to me later. I'd like to know what you think about it. Okay, now I talked about the Hellenistic Jews. This, were, this was people who, they said, you know what? The Greeks aren't that bad. It's kind of good, you know? They, they, they have some good ideas. Maybe we should become Greek. And, you know, 
maybe Jewishness is something from the past. You know, they they are really into health. They set up gymnasiums. I don't know if you know that if you go to the gym, that word comes from the Greeks. Back at this time, they had gymnasiums. They were replacing um, a lot of the Jewish places with gymnasiums and the young Jewish men were going out to the gymnasium. Um, they, there was a lot of issues for the Jews. One of the things that um, the Hellenists prescribed was that you, the boys were not to be circumcised. So this caused a lot of problems for the boys who went to the gyms. And anyway, it's a, there's a lot of weird stuff that happened back then. Um, they, they tried to hide that they were Jewish. And so, you know, you, you could say, well, you know, I never thought that was that kind to my to build boys anyway to circumcise them. So maybe it's not that bad. And some of the Jews actually started to want to become like the Greeks. And so there was a group of Jews that wanted to be Greek. And there was a group of Jews that wanted to keep their Jewishness. And we read in uh, Daniel 11:32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. This would be those who are Hellenistic. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So it's important to realize there were two groups. There was the Hellenistic Jews, and there were the ones that wanted to keep uh, doing what God had told them to do. So now we're going to get into our first lesson, first life lesson, seeking God's approval rather than man's. And so this is a really important one for us, I think. I think it's becoming more important all the time. Times are changing, and it's going to, I think this is going to be a bigger issue for us from now on. So uh, having Galatians 1.10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So he's saying, if you want to be a servant of Christ, then you got to serve him and not try to please man. So you don't want to, you don't want to be getting man's approval. Um, so look at some verses that uh, on the same idea here. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. When they were told not to preach about Jesus, they said, we have to obey God rather than men. So we know we are supposed to obey men. We're supposed to obey whoever's in charge of the country we live in, but not if it goes against what God has told us to do. So this is really important. Um, you know, we don't have to do this a whole lot. Um, yeah, I, I got a, a jury summons recently, so I'm going to have to go there and, uh, you know, this kind of applies to that. Um, we don't really, I haven't really had a, a war lately for anybody to have to worry about the military, but this is an example of where that kind of idea is really important. Okay. And here's another one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So we want to be serving God and not the world. Uh, here again, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So first of all, he says you're adulterous if you're serving man instead of God. You know, you're, you're leaving the, what you really are married to and going to something else. Um, and then friendship with the world is like, like battling with God. And if you want to be a friend of the world, you're an enemy. You're God's enemy if you want to be a friend of the world. So these Jews at that time who were saying, well, it's okay. We, you know, being, being Hellenistic, it's, it's probably, you know, this is the modern thing. It's good. We're making progress here. Um, they actually were making themselves enemies of God. Uh, and this John, in John um, 12, 43, it says, many, even of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man 
more than the glory that comes from God. And we can fall into that really easily too. So again, this is something we really have to think about. Um, what is more important to us, that God approves us or that man approves us? It's always a really good, like a litmus test to um, check your what you're doing. Is this something God approves or something that man approves? Okay, so we're going to move on from the time of the uh, beginning here of, of in uh, Daniel 11 into the time of the Maccabees. So Antiochus Epiphanes has um, desecrated the temple. He's trying to turn the Jews into Greeks and get rid of, he wants to get rid of the Jewish religion completely. Um, so somebody comes along here named Mattathias, and he is not going to go for that. So Mattathias was a priest. Uh, he lived in a town north of Jerusalem. And so one of the Syrian generals came into town and he said, Mattathias, you're a really respected guy in this town. It would be really good if you would go ahead and sacrifice a pig and then everybody would see it's okay. So, you know, it's like somebody that everybody would respect in the Ecclesia and say, you know, if you voted, then people would see it's okay to vote. And why don't, why don't you do that? And why don't you make it easy for everybody? So what happened was, uh, Mattathias said, I won't do it. I'm not going to. You can't make me uh, sacrifice this pig. So a young uh, Jewish, obviously would have been a Hellenist, you said, oh, I'll do it for him. And he ran up to the altar to sacrifice the pig. He thought he would get in with the Syrians by doing that. Uh, Mattathias said, uh, no, you won't. And he turned around and he stabbed him and killed him. And then after that, he turned and stabbed the Syrian who had come to force him to uh, offer the sacrifice. So Mattathias um, obviously didn't falling into pressure. He, he wasn't willing to do what they wanted him to do. Um, uh, of course, at the same time, he was in big trouble now for, for killing these people. So he ran off into the hills um, and he had five sons. So this is a, a drawing of him and supposed to be his five sons. He was old at this point. Uh, let's take a look at who his sons were. The, the most famous one was named Judas. And then he had another son named Jonathan and a third one named Simon. And he had two other ones. Now, these three, Judas, Jonathan, and Simon, all became leaders of the Maccabees. So these are like the most important of his five sons. And then we've got uh, two others, Eliezer and John. They did not um, ever become leaders. And Simon was the one that the Maccabee, that, they're known as the Hasmonean dynasty. And I'll explain that in a second why they're called that. But he is the one that they all came from. They all came down through Simon. But Judas was the most famous of all of all these sons. Okay, so the, the Mattathias last name was Hasmoneus. And so really, they were actually the Hasmoneans. But Judas was famous for his nickname, which was Maccabeus or Judas the Hammer. Um, no one's really sure why he was called that, whether it was that he fought like a hammer or that he used a hammer when he's fighting. I found a picture that looks like he's using a hammer here. Um, but he was a really good fighter. And so he, he um, was chosen to lead the people. Uh, Mattathias died not too long after. And so um, Judas was chosen to lead the people. And he fought guerrilla warfare and was very successful against the Syrians. They weren't expecting that. They were expecting to be in an actual battle, uh, you know, soldier to soldier. And they were attacked by these uh, guys that were using guerrilla warfare. And so they were actually very successful. And the Syrians lost a lot of the battles, which no one had expected. Um, they took back the temple. They actually took back the temple that Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated. And they cleaned it up. 
and they wanted to dedicate it. And according to their tradition, um, the oil that was really only enough for a day or something lasted for eight days. And the celebration of what happened there when they dedicated the temple is the holiday that we know as Hanukkah. It's right around Christmas time. So that's what that was all about, was rededicating the temple that the Maccabees had taken back from the Syrians. Um, it's actually in the New Testament, and it's from John 10, 22. It says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple. And it goes on to say, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? You are the Christ, tell us plainly. But this was at the Feast of Dedication, same thing as Hanukkah. So it was going on at the time of Jesus. So eventually Judas Maccabee was killed by the Syrians in battle. And uh, then they had to decide who's going to be next. They chose Jonathan. Eventually he was captured and then he was executed by a Syrian general. Uh, next after him was Simon. He was another son of Mattathias. And he decided to become the high priest. So um, Mattathias was a priest, so his sons would have been priests, but now uh, Simon decides to become high priest. And if you think about that, there's a big problem with that. And it's caused a lot of problems in Israel because he was not of the right family to be high priest. And you're gonna see it, it's gonna cause a lot of problems in the nation of Israel because uh, the Hasmoneans decided they were gonna become priests. It became hereditary. So from then on, whoever was the next in line became the high priest. Okay, so we've talked about the Maccabees. Up to this point, it was kind of a religious um, turnover in the country. They were fighting against the um, Seleucids because they tried to make them Hellen Hellenized. They tried to make them Greek and they wanted to stay Jewish. From here on though, it becomes more a political thing. And it's just people fighting to, to uh, be in charge of the country rather than for religious reasons. So I think this chart really helps us before we get into more detail to understand what was going on. Um, there's Judas, the one we talked about, Judas the Hammer, Judas Maccabee. He was followed up by Jonathan too, and then Simon. These guys were all brothers. Then Simon's son, John Hyrcanus, or John Hyrcanus, depending on how you want to say that. He was the next guy in line. Uh, his son, Aristobulus, I've crossed him out because he didn't do a whole lot. He only uh, was in charge for a year and he died. Um, but his brother, Alexander Janaeus, was the next one in line and he became the ruler of the Jews for quite a while. So he ended up marrying a woman named Salome and Salome had been married to Aristobulus and now she married his brother, Alexander and took the name Alexandra. So she changed her name to be like her husband's. Um, Alexander was number five. When he died, Alexandra became the next ruler of the Jews. So she was a Jewish queen. Uh, they had some children. One of them was named Hyrcanus and the other Aristobulus. I've got number seven down for both of them because they both wanted to rule. And this led to a civil war in Israel at this time. And this civil war is what led to the Romans taking over. And we'll see, I'll show you more detail about that in just a minute or two. Um, Hyrcanus ended up having a son named Alexandra, sorry, a daughter named Alexandra. Aristobulus had a son named Alexander, so everybody liked those names. They, they ended up getting married, having a daughter named Miriam. It's actually Mariamne. Um, she married a guy you probably heard of, Herod the Great. And so Herod the Great actually came into the Hasmonean dynasty this way. And we'll take a look at all these things that happened here. So let's go, let's go back uh, to the time of John Hyrcanus. 
And here he is. He was a son of Simon. Um, it's amazing the pictures they had back then. Now, I just thought this was good to give you a feeling of what, uh, you know, that this guy was a real person at one time. Um, he was the son of Simon. He became the prince of Judea. So at this point, he was a priest and a prince. Um, this is around the time, nobody actually knows when the Sadducees or Pharisees started, but uh, it was around this time that they became really important in the nation. So, you know, we end the Old Testament, no mention of the Sadducees or Pharisees. You get to the New Testament, they're very important. This is around the time when they, when they gained that importance. The Sadducees, uh, we, we think of what we read in the New Testament, you know, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. Um, you know, that, that's what separated us from the Pharisees. There was actually a lot of other things, too. The Sadducees were from the upper class. These were upper class people in, in Israel. They were sympathetic to Hellenism. So they wanted the Jews to become Greek. That's what the Sadducees originally, this is the, originally back at this time. They only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. That's it. Everything has to come from that. They controlled the temple at the time. They didn't believe in the resurrection. We know that. They were despised by the common man. So the average person hated the Sadducees at this time because they were from the upper ruling class. Then on the Pharisees, on the other hand, were middle-class people. They were against Hellenism. They created an oral law. That's what got them in trouble with Jesus later. They controlled the synagogues. So not the temples, but the synagogues. Um, they believed in resurrection, and they were really respected by the common man. The common man liked the Pharisees. So um, what's really interesting about the Pharisees is we kind of think of them as the big enemy in the New Testament. At this time, they were actually the hero because they were fighting against the Jews becoming Greek. Had it not been for the Pharisees, the Jews may have all become Greek and, you know, all the Jewish um, things that they kept all these years to now may have been lost. So they were, it was really important that there were Pharisees at this point in time. Okay, so the next guy that came after Simon was John Hyrcanus, and then we got Aristobulus. Uh, he said he only lasted a year. And then um, his brother, Alexander Janaeus, was next. He became the first king of the Jews, first one since the time of uh, Zedekiah. So he was called the king of the Jews. Again, this caused a lot of problems. The Pharisees were really angry about this because they said, how could you be the king of the Jews? You're not even from the line of David. And so not only now is he high priest, he's also king. And he supported the Sadducees. He got really upset with the Pharisees and murdered a lot of them. Actually uh, killed a lot of the Pharisees. When he was really sick at the end of his life and dying, he told his wife, you know, I think you need the Pharisees switch and start supporting the Pharisees instead of the Sadducees. So uh, one of the really important things he did um, he really increased the area, the land of Israel. So you can see all this area with a little blue line around it. He had made it that large. And it's basically back to the time, the size it was the time of Solomon. Um, what he also did was he added Idumea, which would have been Edom, to Israel. And he didn't just say, you know, well, let's sign a contract or we'll have a peace treaty. He said, you're now all Jewish. And so he just took over Idumea made them Jewish. This is where Herod gets his chance to come in because Herod was an Idumean. And we'll see how that happened in just a couple minutes here. So his wife later became queen. Once he died, she supported the Pharisees because he told her that's a good idea. It wasn't because he thought the Pharisees were better than the Sadducees. He just thought that she had a better chance staying queen if she supported the Pharisees. So that's what she did. Um, so they had a couple of sons, Hyrcanus II, and he sided with the Pharisees. He was aided by a guy named Antipater 
And if you know about Herod, you might know that Antipater was Herod's father. So this guy, Antipater, who was an Idumean, had now been added to the land of Israel. He um, supported Hyrcanus. Hyrcanus' brother, Aristobulus, was supported by the Sadducees. He took on the title king and high priest, and they started battling each other. And they were trying to figure out how, how we're going to decide who's going to be the winner here. And they had this really bright idea. Hey, let's ask the Romans, see if they can help us out. And the Romans were only too happy to do that. They went to a general named Pompey and they asked him, can you help us? And so it ended up, he picked one of the guys. The other guy got into a battle. They were having a civil war. They got into a battle with the Romans and um, the Romans had supported the Jews in their fight against the Seleucids. For instance, we talked about Antiochus III when he uh, lost the Battle of Magnesia to the Romans. Um, oh, I, I thought this was really good. Josephus actually said, because two brothers could not get along, this kind of goes with what we've talked about in the past, that we're not getting along with other people, we lost our freedom and our liberty to Rome. So because of those two brothers, Pompey said, yeah, sure, I'll take care of the situation. And he came in and he besieged Jerusalem, ended up taking the temple, went in and defiled the temple. Um, then he said, there's nothing in here. Went to the Holy of Holies, looked around, said nothing here. Uh, and he left and he said, clean up the temple. We don't want to offend any of the gods, you know, make it back the way it used to be. And, but he ended the civil war, but now the Jews were going to be under the Romans from now on. Well, Antipater, who was Herod's father, he had been the governor of Idumea. Um, about this time, Julius Caesar was fighting in Egypt and Antipater sent 3,000 of his troops down to help Julius uh, win the battle down there, and so Julius really liked him, and he gave him whatever he asked for. So he wanted uh, to uh, be in charge in the land of Judea, so he was able to do that, and he was able to make his son Herod the governor of Galilee. So because um, Julius Caesar liked him, he was able to have his son Herod made the governor of Galilee. So that's how Herod got in. Um, he, was, he was half Jew because his mother was Jewish, but but he wasn't really totally Jewish. He was actually uh, an Edomite. Okay, so uh, he came in just as the governor, but eventually, oops, sorry. Eventually he uh, had a kingdom. He ended up having this entire area. It's really an interesting story about the Herods in the New Testament. I don't have time to talk about that, but if you wanna do an interesting study about who they all were, it's, it's really a fun thing to do to look at those. Um, he had this, he was really the king of, the land there, then under the Romans, obviously, they had appointed him and made him the king. Um, what we know him for the famous thing is what he did with the wise men. You know, he decided that um, because he couldn't find Jesus, he was going to kill all the boys under uh, two years old. Um, that, that really wasn't unusual for him. It's not like, wow, how could that guy do that? He had his wife, Mary, Mary Amney, that we talked about. He had her, he figured that she was probably uh, adulterous. So he had her executed. He had his mother-in-law executed. He killed two of his sons um, so much that um, the emperor in Rome, he did so many things that the emperor said, I'd rather be um, his pig than his son because you have a better chance of living, but because he, he wouldn't eat a pig, but he would kill his sons. But anyhow, he really was that kind of guy that he was just a, a kind of a, a insane person. Um, what he's famous for though, he did fantastic building projects. Like he restored the temple. So made the second temple greater than the first. Um, here's some pictures of some drawings of what he did. Um, he also built Masada, if anybody has heard of that. He built that as a fortress for his family. And that'll come in here in, in a little while. So um, we're up now to the time of Jesus. We're going to skip that because we're just going right into this uh, history. And I want to look at the revolt. We know it, most of us, as AD 70. 
And it actually began in 66 and lasted to about 74. So it was, a, it was like a seven year war. Uh, when the Jews revolted, they revolted because the Romans uh, were being really difficult with them. Um, Nero was the emperor at the time the Jews revolted in, in AD 66. And he sent uh, a famous general named Vespasian and his son Titus. Uh, what happened though, well, they were down in Judea. Nero um, was losing, gonna lose his uh, position. And so he killed himself. And so Vespasian was like, well, I gotta hurry back to Rome because I wanna become the new emperor. So he went back and he left his son Titus to take over um, conquering the land of Judea. So that's what Titus did. He sent in his soldiers. Uh, I got a, some Roman siege weapons. I, just to give you an idea of what war like back then was like, it's not like we might think. We might think it was some guys with swords fighting each other. Here's some examples. They had like these cannons that they use. You can see there's like rocks, round rocks down at the bottom. They had like a catapult kind of a mechanism on this and they would shoot these things at the buildings. And these rocks um, at the speed they went could actually destroy the, the bricks, you know, the rocks that they use for bricks. You could actually break those up. So that was one of the weapons. They also had these giant battering rams. See how tall this was. Um, this had this was used to knock down the wall as well. Uh, it had a drawback. It was wood, and so people realized, hey, if we can get underneath this thing, we can light it on fire. So in this next picture, this is Jerusalem being attacked. When they uh, laid siege to Jerusalem, some of the Jews tunneled out from underneath, came up out of the ground down to, down underneath there, and lit the uh, battering rams on fire. So the battle went on for a long time. Uh, it was very difficult. Jerusalem at this time was one of the strongest fortresses in the world. And so it was very difficult for the Romans to, um, to breach the walls and get in. So I, in the slide here, it says a few weeks. So it took them quite a while to get in there. Uh, they eventually did. Um, they finally entered into the city and they eventually took it. We know that. I wanted to show you here on this map how they actually went in. So if you look at the map, you can see that there was an outer wall up at the top. There's a second wall, and then we have this first wall. And then there's the temple over to the right. And above that, there's the Antonia Fortress. Herod had built that fortress, um, had strengthened it and made it um, into a fortress for his soldiers, but the Jews used it when they fought against the Romans. So what happened was the Romans came in here, they breached this first wall. Then they went in here and finally, it took them a while to get through there, but they finally reached the second wall. Each wall was stronger than the one before, so it was a real difficult, uh, thing to do then from there they went into the antonia fortress and took over it and then they went into the temple and took the temple and last of all they broke into this area that was called the first wall and then took over the rest of the city um, here's a picture of them taking out the golden lampstand which they took out of the temple uh, you, you might think well you know this wasn't that big a deal what happened in jerusalem um, one of the amazing things I came across while I was looking at uh, information on this is that Jerusalem in its history has been attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times and destroyed twice. And we know, you know, there's, there's more to come for Jerusalem. It's not over yet, but uh, it, it's pretty amazing all the things that has happened to Jerusalem in history. This is also from a professor. He said the siege of Jerusalem was probably the greatest single slaughter in ancient history. They estimate like that a million uh, Jews died. They don't really know for sure, but I um, mean, this whole battles that they were fighting. Um, they were having a civil war kind of inside Jerusalem before they were attacked by the Romans. So that they all got together after the Romans attacked and they were able to fight back, but they still lost the city. 
Um, but it wasn't over. A bunch of the uh, re rebels who had fought against the Romans decided to go to Masada, the place that Herod had built for his family. It's up on top of a uh, really steep hill and no one could get up there except the Romans decided that um, they could do it. They were really uh, marvels at doing engineering. And so what they did is they built a ramp up in the upper right there. You can see they made a, a, a dirt ramp go up to the top so that they could take their battering rams up to the top of the hill. And so they eventually did that. Uh, the story goes that when they finally got to the top, they found everyone dead. So everyone who went up there committed suicide. And so um, the last, here's a picture of the last zealot about to die. Supposedly they took, they drew um, numbers and, you know, you, one guy would kill 10 people and then somebody else would kill the next 10 and so on. So that they would eventually end up with one guy left and he had to kill himself. Uh, the Jews that were left alive were taken to Rome and they were marched through the streets of Rome. You can see the golden lampstand there with them. So if you weren't um, killed, you were taken as a prisoner and a lot of them became slaves. So a lot of the Jews were slaves in different parts of the Roman empire. They were spread over a lot of the area. You can see these arrows show the parts of the Roman empire that they were sent to. And that's gonna come into play in a little while. So we'll see how that worked out. Um, in 115, so we, we always hear about AD 70 and we might assume, well, that was the end. AD 70, the Romans took Jerusalem and the wars with the Jews was, were over. It uh, wasn't that way at all. Actually in 115, the Jews in the dispersion, they were in diaspora, they were in these other places. Uh, on this map, you can see some of them um, revolted in 115, some 117. Um, all over the Roman world, um, the Jewish people revolted. And um, the Romans were able to dispatch them fairly quickly because they weren't really organized. But that wasn't the end either. About 20 years later, we have the Bar Kokhba revolt. So Emperor Hadrian outlawed circumcision, reading the law, and he, he let out uh, some news that he was going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, made the Jews really excited. Only it turned out he was going to build a temple as a temple to uh, Jupiter, so not, not to God. And so that was the last straw for the Jews. They began to organize rebellion, and they were going to uh, not allow that to happen. So uh, he, uh, the uh, Romans um, were very upset with what the Jews were doing. They changed the name of Jerusalem to Aelia Capitolina, and they planned to build this temple to Jupiter on the Temple Mount. And here's a picture of that. They had a lot of Roman soldiers were stationed here in the area. Um, Jesus had said in Mark 13, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive the possible, even the elect. Take heed, I have told you all things beforehand. The people at this time are looking for a Messiah. So they're ready to revolt against the Romans. They're, you know, we're going to throw these guys out of here. We're, we're done with this. God must be on our side and we're waiting for the Messiah. He's going to come and save us. So there were a lot of false Christs because people said, you know, I'm the Messiah that you're waiting for. And one of the guys, uh, nobody knows whether he actually said he was or if he just seemed like it and they made him their new Messiah, was a guy named Simon Bar Kokhba. And so he came along, people said, oh, this is our Messiah, it's time for us to revolt. And so they attacked in Jerusalem, they attacked the Romans, and amazingly, they won. So it was unbelievable, really. They, they fought against the Roman army and they won. And they were well-organized, um, good fighters. 
Uh, you see a guy there has a little sword in his hand. These guys were called the Sakari. They used a little dagger and they would sneak up and two or three of them would attack one guy and kill him. Um, so they actually took Jerusalem. They took over the city again. They took it back from the Romans and they set up an independent uh, Israel for three years. But the Romans said, okay, that's it. We're, we've had it with these guys. They just keep revolting. And now they've taken over the, the, the land again. We're going to have to put a stop to this once and for all forever. And so they methodically took back Judea, first of all, from the uh, Israelites. And then they eventually, sending in these huge numbers of soldiers, they were able to defeat Bar Kokhba. And um, when this happened, um, they decided, okay, no more. We're done with the Jews being in this area. It's not going to be called Judea anymore. The Jews are out. We're going to change the name of it to Syria, Palestina, which is where the term Palestinians comes from, if you're curious about that. But they changed the name to Syria, Palestina and said, no Jews allowed anymore. Get out. And so well, some of the Jews went off into the hills and they actually stayed there. There's um, I don't know if anybody's totally sure if this is true, but there's a thought that there's been a group of some Jews that have been in the land all the way back to this time. And they're still there, you know, they're descendants, obviously. But um, no one's totally sure about that. But they say that that's that they are descendants of these guys who stayed. But most of the Jews were sent throughout the world. So it was, you know, no Jews are allowed in in the land of uh, Israel anymore. And so they were sent all over the world. Uh, they were sent to you can see in this map here. Uh, they were sent Spain, Upper France, even later at the after the late Roman period, and all the way up into England. So they went up there. Is that England, Richard, or is that? Am I hitting it right when I say England? Okay, because I never know if it's yeah. Wales is over on the side, and Scotland's the top, right? Okay, good. All right, so um, that they were up, they were sent up into England. So Jews went all over the known world. Now, what we would have expected to happen was they would have lost their culture. Um, this is when they would have become like the Greeks because the Romans were actually like the Greeks and that would have been the end of the Jews. Of course, we know that didn't happen. Unbelievably, they lasted 2000 years outside of uh, almost 2000 years outside of their country and they're now back there. So that's what we're going to look at. What happened to the Jews? This we'll be looking at next week. What happened to the Jews when they were spread all throughout Europe? What kind of uh, life did they have to lead and what what happened to them? So that's next week's class. Okay, so I do want to look, though, at uh, what we get from this last section here. Don't try to change the world. So um, the Jews revolted and tried to change the Roman world they lived under without God telling them to do that. You know, it's different than when, if, if when we get in the uh, like in the Old Testament, we see times when God said, you know, you, you are to attack this country or attack this city or whatever. These guys decided on their own that they were going to do it. Um, if we look at what Jesus said, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. My kingdom is not from this world. Um, without a doubt, this would be the most logical reason ever to fight because Jesus um, was being arrested. And he's saying, you know, uh, they're not going to fight no matter what happens. And so it uh, tells us that we're really not supposed to be part of, of changing the world. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior. Our citizenship is not in part of this world. Um, Jesus is a person that we're waiting for who's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. 
and um, it's better to trust in the Lord. So the first couple of verses we looked at tells us that we're really not part of the society we live in. So it's not really our job to change our society. Uh, the next one is saying we're put our trust in God, not in man, not in what man can do. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Psalm 118, 8 and 9. <clears throat> uh, thus says the Lord, cursed, cursed is the man that trusts in man. So if you trust in man, you're cursed. Uh, makes, if you make flesh your strength, if your heart turns away from the Lord, so we're supposed to put our confidence in God. Um, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. So that's who we're trusting in not in man. Uh, the next verses are going to look at how, what is our um, relation to the government around us. And this is the first one, Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I always think it's really interesting to think who the governing authorities were at that time. It's the people we've been talking about, you know, not, not good people. You can't, it wasn't, you say, let every person be subject to the governing authorities because they were uh, voted in by the people and so they are the choice of the people you gotta it's not that it's let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from god and those that exist have been instituted by god therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what god has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment and another one titus 3 1 and 2 remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and so on. And then, first of all, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high position. So if you want to do something, this is what you do. You pray for the people in high positions, the kings, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That's what you're actually told to pray for, not that the world changes, but that we lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way um i think we need to do that more often i think that's what we learn from this that you know had the jews done what god wanted perhaps he would have changed their situation but they decided to take care of it on their own and it ended up terrible for them and last of all be subject for the lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good this is the will of god that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We are to live as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. That's an easy one, I think. Fear God, that's an easy one. Honor the emperor, not so easy, depending on whether you like them or not. If you like them, it's easy, but if you don't, not so easy. So, uh, but that's, you're supposed to. It's not a, it's not a honor the emperor if he's a good guy, honor the emperor if you like him. It's honor the emperor. So I think um, these, these are really important things that we learned tonight looking at the Jewish history, because I think we're, we're in a time in which, you know, people are wondering about this. And I think it's something that we got to be really careful about, that uh, we um, are not part of this world. And it's not our job to change this world. Our job is to change people, change ourselves, change individual people. But um, our job really is to pray that we will be uh, allowed to live a peaceful and quiet life and hopefully continue that until Christ returns. We obviously don't know if that will happen. We, we hope so, and we certainly pray that.